Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Fiction. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. LGBT Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, 
102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I am Al Warren. My co-host today is Mr. Eric Shapiro. Al, how are you? I'm always good. Oh, good. That's fantastic. I'm, yeah, I'm a, I offended myself by even asking. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> you're one a big a constant offense. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, felony. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Well, our, our guest is in a position to know also. Oh, she arrested yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or sooner or later. Yeah. Well, let's let's bring her in. Okay, we got um, Angela Eureko Smith. Thank you for being here. Absolutely, it is such a thrill to be here with you guys. You, the, both the trouble and the non-trouble. Right, right. Well, don't don't overestimate Al either. He, he keeps me around, so he looks like non-trouble. Uh huh. Yeah. Scapegoat, yeah. handy scapegoat. Yeah. Right. That's exactly it. That's exactly Mr. Easel here. Right. <laughs> Wait. So Angela Eureka Smith, I encountered, and the re- uh, the reason we are friendly, and in, in addition to the fact that I admire your work and talent so much, is we came together because I wrote a novel called Red Dennis that was published by Independent Legions in 2020. And at the beginning of that year, you were assigned by Alessandro Manzetti as the editor of that novel. Mm-hmm. And you not only helped make it better and are a brilliant editor, but you also uh, intersected with me at a time where my confidence was not that high. And because you were such a believer in the book and you were such a resource for improving it, I came out of it just feeling really good about my writing and feeling very restored. So I was, I, I always felt that you were an angel and I included you in the acknowledgements. And I said, this is a very special person. I know I'm not alone in the publishing community with that opinion. I know you, uh, you recently, uh, by your peers, were given the Bram Stoker Award twice over and you have a lot of new projects going on. So I want to talk all about it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and yeah, let me back up a little bit to the Red Dennis. That was right. such <laughs> a, uh, a groundbreaking book. You you touched oh, you so all the topics there that a lot of times were kind of being avoided at the time. And I had all respect. You did it well. Um, I just, yeah, when, when I got a, a little whiff of some lack of confidence, I was like, dude, n- no need. You've got oh, this. You. <laughs> so oh, you did it all yeah, yourself. It, it can cut either way because when you hear an editor is being assigned, you know, I took a deep breath. I'm like, if this person is not aligned to the experiment I'm embarking on, mm-hmm. this could get seriously sensitive. Like I've had with opinion editorials I've written in our newspaper, you know, when you get into politics, it can get so divisive and inflammatory. Oh, yeah. And I was just pray- praying for somebody that understood. And I remember uh, you came out of it saying you didn't know where I was politically, which was the biggest compliment you could have mm-hmm. given me after reading that, because I didn't want it to be about ideology. I wanted it to be humanized and transcend all that stuff. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I thought was so good about it is it wasn't a political soapbox any other, like one way. It was just a moment in our history kind of, you know, this is what it is. This is all the crap, you know? Wait, so you have, um, first of all, you just won a couple of stokers. So congratulations. Thank you. I don't, I, was it your first time winning? I know you've been a finalist before. But, yeah, it was um, actually my first time to get to take them home. So that was cool. And they are as awesome as, I mean, before I won one, I was like, yeah, it's really not about winning it. You know, that's that's cool. But really getting nominated is enough. But then after I won one, it was like, no, these are freaking mine. Right. <laughs> this is the awesome right, so. thing. <laughs> what what categories did you win in? Uh, poetry collection, which was for Tortured Willows, which I wrote with Christina Singh, Lee Murray, okay. and uh, Genevieve Flynn. And then these are all people. These are all people I think are fantastic. Yeah, I yeah, know. it was awesome. I mean, and Genevieve, that was her first poem, and it got nominated for oh. an Aurorealis Award. The first, her first poem went in that book, so I'm super proud of that. Because um, I, I, I coached her. I say coached her, but it was a very, you know, like, well, you could do this, and then she just kind of mm-hmm. ran with it. Um, and Lee was a newer poet at the time, and she just did phenomenal. She actually won the Aurorealis, um, which is the Australian Awards. And we had, Tortured Willows had, I want to say like four of five of them as nominations, like four of our poems were nominated out of five, or it was oh, wow. six and we had five, something like that. But I was impressed. So, but yeah, cannot say enough good things about my my co-poets on that book. Wait, so what it- 
what is the theme with Tortured Willows? What is the unifying theme of all the poems? Oh, it was just us touching into our heritage, you know, wherever mm-hmm. we stand with that, because we're all Asian or part Asian. And it was oh, actually okay. a follow on from Black Cranes. And I don't know if you remember that one. That came out the year before. Yeah, yeah. And that swept all the awards. That got a Shirley Jackson and the Bram Stoker and Anthology and Aurora's Aurora. I can't, I don't know. There's a ton of stuff. It was a ton of stuff and I can never keep them all straight. Um, so this oh, was, fantastic. yeah, this was our answer to that. We decided to continue the conversation, but in a different uh, category. And then next year we have a third book, which is nonfiction. It's basically our essays from different Asian voices and, and Asian women. We're trying to kind of keep the focus there, but in nonfiction, that's coming out from Black Spot Books on Valentine's Day. Oh, wow. Okay. So primarily it's been poetry. And if I'm getting this with Tortured Willows mm-hmm. and Black Cranes, you were the editor as well as a contributor, correct? Not for Black Cranes. And that was fiction. Okay, that okay. was just an antho- well, just an anthology. It was fiction. It was a fiction anthology. And so I okay. only had two stories in it. Um, but, okay. and Lee and I were friends, but we weren't like very close, like, you know, we weren't like, we're now, we're kind of tied to the, tied at the hip. Um, so mm-hmm. she just asked me if I would contribute a story and then they wound up needing another one. So I gave them a reprint. Um, and so I had two, but it just, I loved the book so much. I love, and, and people often confuse me with actually being an editor of that. And I was not, oh, but God. I just was like a, you know, super fan girl, like, you know sharing it and pushing it however I could because I felt like it was such an important book. Who was it that edited that one? So um, that was Lee Murray and Genevieve Flynn. Yeah, and that's how oh, they so met. Yep. Got it. Okay, so, and with this next one, which is Essays, what is the title of that one coming up? Unquiet Spirits. And that, you're keeping the band together, so it's, it's the yeah, same group of you. It is, but okay. it's, I think there's like 19 of us. And I've, I've probably got oh, that okay. off, but it is a larger group. Um we, we just tried to get all the, the voices in, like the different experiences and stuff, because we didn't want it to be just our experience. The poetry obviously has to be a little more focused, uh, but this mm-hmm. is probably about 20 essays. If Lee hears this, she's going to be correcting me later because I'm sure I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but And we've got all sorts of, and it's uh, looking at the Asian woman experience through the lens of spirits, monsters. So my, my essay in that is about the Nekekubi, which is a ghost that um, goes headless at night. It's a person, but your head will pop off and go hunting basically at night, kind of like a pseudo vampire headless kind of, you know, but then I tie that into the, the strict, uh, you know, when you have to be so, um, the word mundane is coming to my head, but that's not the word, you know, like you can't sort of like, like conservative yeah inhibited oh, and conservative okay. and you have these these pressures these social pressures to behave in a certain way and then that is my my thought is like the nikekebi is maybe like we have to break out and so maybe this is one way you know that lust for you know like maybe you're not really a violent person but when you suppress everything it over comes out you know it's bigger than maybe it would be in a normal way so got it okay that's a really powerful theme okay so you you just put so many things on the table to talk about but i also <laughs> want to talk about what did the other what was the other stoker win for oh that was year? short nonfiction, and so i did a little okay, piece okay. for uh sirens call called horror writers architects of hope okay yeah and what was that about um i went into and you've probably read this study they found out during the pandemic that horror writers and well horror fans we'll say horror fans mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. literature but people who loved horror we're the most resilient in the pandemic mm-hmm. and through all the crises. We were the ones that had the best mental health, um, which was, I don't know why that's surprising. And they ha- got paid so much money because all of us could have just told them this, um, right. you know, and they're trying to figure out why. And they also found out it wasn't like a racial thing or it wasn't like all the, you know, Chinese horror fans or all the African-American horror fans. It was mm-hmm. just people that liked horror were more resilient and it, it wasn't a money thing. It wasn't a pol- political thing or a religious thing. It was just the, the common thread was liking horror. Well, to us, that makes total sense because we're role playing our fears. That's why we write it or watch it mm-hmm. or are fascinated because we don't hide from our fears. We're not trying to suppress anything and be in the Kekubi. Um, we face it mm-hmm. and are plotting how to get rid of it or, or also just accepting that sometimes you don't, you know, sometimes the monster wins and, what whatever 
you know, you still have to go on and do your best. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's interesting because I did read the study and as the pandemic has gone on, particularly in the post lockdown phase, um, I did like as a teenager, I had mental health issues, or at least they were most flared up at that time in my life. Mm -hmm. And I always looked at it as well. Like I already went through a sort of nervous breakdown period in my life. Now I'm in my forties. So I, as the world started unraveling, even though it was disturbing and it was unnerving and jarring, there was a limit. Like I didn't feel like it encroached upon my personal mental health very much. Mm -hmm. I also like work from home. So there are different variables. So like on that level, things didn't change. But I always attributed it to the past trauma. But I think what you're saying, and that's so brilliantly put in terms of role-playing our fears, is such a big component of all that as, as far as horror fans go. And Al is a true crime person, and that's very adjacent to horror. Like, it's mm -hmm. all about acknowledging, acknowledging bleakness and not shying away from it, as you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True crime is fascinating, too. I just went to Writers Police Academy this last weekend. Um, if my voice sounds tired, I'm, it's, it was that recent. I'm still kind of recovering. But that was really awesome to go see how police actually do it, because I kind of tended to be more into the the supernatural aspects of horror. And here we are talking about Jeffrey Dahmer and um, the BTK killer, like all of that and seeing the crime photos, which, you know, as a horror writer is like, yes, this is awesome. That was really cool. I have a huge respect. Well, I will say I didn't like not have a respect, but I just had no understanding of that genre, really. So huge fan now. Wait, so when you say Writers Police Academy, you were literally learning about, like, police work as oh, it yeah. to write it? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Okay. Um, we got to, like, take apart a car with the jaws of death. Uh, I'm sorry, jaws of life. <laughs> That's the horror writer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Typical horror. Yeah. yeah, you know what I was thinking about doing with them, but, yeah, but, no. Yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah. to cut away a car, not, you know, kill people, but, um, yeah, <laughs> and see dog, like how the police dogs work and how body cams work. That was really interesting. Um, you know, because we kind of go, you know, well, why couldn't the guy see this person over there or whatever? You know, that guy had to cut us right there on the camera. But then when you see like the perspective, like you can see it from different ways. They'd have like several cameras set up and what you're seeing on the body cam isn't necessarily what happened. It is very, you know, there's a lot of interpretation there and stuff, which I didn't realize. I mean, that was really eye opening. That is interesting. Yeah. My wife was recently telling me how, um, she had read something about how, how, um, unstable human memory is. Mm -hmm. Like you often don't remember things correctly. And it's interesting in a body cam case where you're actually capturing and recording and yet there's going to be insufficient context to get the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, yeah. they were pointing out that, um, the body cam is much more sensitive than us and the body cam has no stress. So you okay. are looking at a gun, maybe pointed at you or whatever, whatever the situation is. And somebody says something, but your brain is already engaged in like, I have to fire or, you know, flight or fl flight or fight or fright, whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, trying oh, to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's not flight or fright, but, you know, maybe that's how I write. <laughs> you can be scared to death or you can flee. But there's no other way. There's no other options. Right, right. Um, but then they were saying, like, the ear, though, doesn't hear that, doesn't register it. So even though maybe on a camera, somebody's like, oh, it's OK, that's a comb. They, right. You're already engaged. And I got to be in a simulator where I actually got to take down an active shooter. I mean, simulation. It was a simulation. <laughs> um, and that that was even though I know this is really I'm not really being threatened here. Um, the emotional state that I was, you know, because, of course, as a writer, that's what I'm focused on is how do I feel right now? Where Am I confused? Am I this? Am I that? And it was there was one moment where the police officer that was with me, um, who's a simulation, was like, you know, I'm going left. You go right or something. And I was totally mm -hmm. confused for a minute. Like, what's my left? What's my right? Oh, my God. What did he just say? Oh, like, wow. you know, like a holy. Oh, my. Let's go. You know, and then. The guy came in down the hall and I saw that he had a gun and I still I didn't react. And I'm looking for him. I'm looking for this shooter. And, so, and there was also a guy to my left in a room. I just heard him shoot somebody. And so that's where my focus was as I'm coming down the hall is, OK, there's somebody to my left. Then this other guy pops out on my right down a hall. I see the gun. I don't react because it's it's just too fast. He goes into a room and shoots somebody as he come out. As he came out, I got him. I shot him. Um, and then because I was so focused on that, I forgot that there was a guy on the left. And then all of a sudden he popped out and then we got in this big shootout and it was ridiculous at that point because 
nobody was ever going to win until one of us ran out of bullets. But it was just to me, like so shocking that mindset, because if I would tell you how it went, like what I thought would happen, you know, I'm definitely not going to be like, oh, yeah, because I'm a badass and, you know, I shoot people all the time or whatever. But I didn't realize, like, how would I forget the guy on the left? Like, seriously, he's right there. I just heard it. It's a gun. It's a gun. It's a guy shooting people. And I forgot he was there. So well, were the um, were the gunshots really really loud in mm-hmm. the simulation? Yes, yeah. Uh, so it's like bl- blowing your mind out. Like, yeah, shocking. yeah, and okay. and luckily I've never been in a situation like that, you know. So, but it was mm. like really eye opening, and I I actually had like a not like a conscience reevaluation, but I was like, wow, am I like a really selfish person because I let the guy shoot somebody before I shot him. Like, was I verifying that he was actually a threat so I wouldn't get in trouble? Like, what what was my and I honestly think I just it was just too fast. You know what I mean? Like, I I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, but it was just all kinds of. And then there was another woman who got shot um, and didn't make it through hers. And I think like later that afternoon, I ran into her and she was still kind of like shaking and, you know, so it was like really emotional and um, valuable, like incredibly valuable. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of adrenaline. Like you're just like blown out with adrenaline and yeah. spur of the moment reactions. And wow. And then also, uh, it's just interesting that you would have that sort of, uh, I guess the best word is regret, even though it's a simulation. Like, yeah. Uh, if only I'd had a moment to rethink things and those sort of thoughts. Yeah. Um, very like brilliant idea for a boot camp for writers to yeah. give that perspective. That's amazing. It, mm. it but was. Were any of the guys in the simulation good looking? <laughs> um well the one i shot so that might be why i hesitated that might honestly be why. See, this is, like, hmm. yeah see yeah. this is it yeah there's the hesitation because he's too pretty to shoot yeah and like right. maybe <laughs> that would have been like a fantasy thing like he turns around yeah. and sees me and our eyes meet across all the corpses and he's like oh my gosh it's true love and then you know we're like <laughs> bonnie and clyde yeah. off into the sunset Exactly. <laughs> see, see, now we're discovering what's real. Yeah, see, but I don't know if it would have been a good relationship in the long run because he chose to hit a police station. And I'm like, there is nothing mm. here to take with you. What are you going to take? Badges right. or melt them down? There is no, you are not a good supporter. <laughs> you yeah. need to pick a bank or something. <laughs> Quite questionable judgment. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's the worst idea ever. Who takes down a police station? You know, let's go hit a mall or something. At least get me some right. new shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wait, so I want to talk about the two big topics you brought up a few minutes ago are the Asian heritage theme I want to talk about. I also want to talk about that monster with no head again, because mm-hmm. that was really fascinating. But uh, please speak to me about the experience of capturing your Asian heritage through uh, poetry and essays and what that meant and what you learned and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. That's, I will say this book, Tortured Willows, was a pivot for me in my career. I thought I knew where I was going. And this book was probably the hardest thing I ever wrote and absolutely changed my entire perspective and where I was going. And one reason why is because, I mean, I'm, I'm only 25% Shimanshu, which is Okinawan, but the Okinawan okay. people are not Japanese. And that's like a misunderstanding. And Japan is actually illegally hope holding Okinawa and the, Americans originally took it and there's a lot of lot of politics and stuff I won't get into here but these were all things I didn't realize and you'd think that's my culture you know I would know these things but the Shimanshu have tried to be Japanese for so long a lot of the culture has just gotten washed out the Japanese didn't like it imperial and I shouldn't say Japanese you know but like the imperialistic Japan the government Mm -hmm. you know not all the Japanese people who really don't care, <laughs> like, like us. Oh, you know? Japanese citizens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> just because we're American, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we believe all these, you know, all the things right, are our exactly. things. That's not our baggage. Um, so as a, as a result, the Shimanshu, this generation, is trying to reclaim it all. I mean, the languages on the endangered uh, languages list, um, we've lost so much of our culture and, and just really important things. You know, and so not to go too far down that because that this would be like a five hour show. Um, that's where it started with me with Tortured Willows. We were all going to write a little bit about our heritage, 15 poems, not a big deal. Um, and I kind of was like, yeah, this will be easy. I'll write about my grandmother's feet being so tiny. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like rice and I eat seaweed, you know, got, mm-hmm. got 15 <laughs> poems. Um, and instead, 
I wound up doing this deep dive uh, into my family, my actual family, which were not super close. Um, and I found out why, because of a lot of the things that I wrote about in Tortured Willows. But we were mediums in Okinawa. That was the family mm. job. And it's actually called Yuda. And it's not quite the same as what we think of as mediums, you know, which is like a, an old woman with the crystal ball and, the, you know, mm -hmm. speaking to the spirits. It's more about bringing balance. So when something is going off in your life that is disruptive or you're having really bad luck, it's probably a spirit, you know, maybe somebody in your ancestry is unhappy. And then the Yuda figures out what the problem is, tells you what to do about it, how to regain the balance. And that's it. And so there's a saying there that you go see the doctor or the Yuda, you know, but like the Yuda is equal to the doctor for finding out what's wrong with you. So the Yuda is sort of dealing on the level of energetics. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that a fair way of saying? Yeah, yeah. Very metaphysical. Okay. And there's no school of thought with it, which is what I thought was interesting. There's no like, mm -hmm. this is the, the rituals. Every Yuda listens to what's called her Kamisama, which is like her God voice or spirit voice. And that mm -hmm. voice tells her all the stuff she needs to know. Um, so mm -hmm. in our family, we came over. The Shimanshu were the bottom of the Japanese. Like they were under the Japanese. Okay. They were kind of like really, uh, there's a lot of bias against them as kind of a second class citizen. And then the Japanese were under the Americans, especially when Pearl Harbor hit. And then if you were Shimanchu and you had all this freaky Yuda stuff going on, you really, really didn't want to talk about it because nobody liked witches. You know? So in my family, it was like a super suppressed thing. Um, but it wasn't a good thing because like my great aunt committed suicide by shoving toothbrushes down her throat. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. And I don't know how old she was, uh, but it, the story and, and the, their stories, you know, so who knows what the truth was and what was really going on. Um, but the story that I have is she had accepted the, the, the Yuda it's, it's called Kamadari, you know, the whole experience of like, you are being broken so that you can be open to this other experience. And she mm. was doing that. And then she tried to back out of it or didn't make it through and, you know, committed suicide. And sometimes you don't make it through Kamadari, you know, it is. Because it's just, you're, you're facing so much suffering. It is, it is. And it's yeah. typically, um, and this actually is the book that I'm working on now is like uh, shamanism in our Western culture, you know, and how we treat I was going to use the word, uh, I was going to use the word shamanism. Mm -hmm, yeah. The, yeah. The, when you said the evoking, tapping into that inner, not even inner voice, but the non-local consciousness from the spirit world. Yeah. I would say they're more shamanistic than which, you know, but there's not really a Western equivalent, but kind of, you know, like as in it, it's that kind of uh, a process of, of dealing with things. Um, now, when you say you said a moment ago, we were mediums or we are mediums, mm -hmm. does that count for you personally? Have you had those experiences of yes, mediumship? Yeah. And that's oh, actually okay. Um, okay. this book was that's why it kind of changed everything for me, because the Kamadari, you know, happened to me. And, you know, I would okay. hear voices. I've actually uh, don't be scared, but I've been institutionalized twice, you know, for hearing oh, voices okay. and stuff. Um, but well, Al is, uh, Al is in an institution now as we're doing the show. Oh, okay. Well, see, Thank you. I felt very <laughs> comfortable here. Like this is, yeah, you know, yeah. we are all hearing voices. We're all a little bit yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I could believe it. I could go on and on. It's in my family too, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to overtake the narrative. Go ahead. Yeah, right. no, no. Yeah. Well, so these things happened and I would see things that, uh, you know, apparently aren't there, but I mean, since I was okay. a child, child, like I can, one of my first memories is a ghost well, I didn't think of him as a ghost then, but his name was Charlie. And my dad was terrified of him. And um, yeah, Charlie, now as an adult looking back, Charlie was wearing like green fatigues. And my dad was from, Viet you know, was in Vietnam. And he had half of his face destroyed, you know, and blood and everything. But as a kid, I didn't recognize that as anything scary. You know, this was my buddy. And the reason why his name was Charlie, I just found out. My mom and I were talking because of this book. Um, probably like a month or two ago. And she said, and I was asking her about something completely different. Like, do you remember when I asked you about the little brown people with the red hair, you know, and why were they there, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, yeah, kind of. You're a weird kid, though. You're always asking me stuff like that. And then she said, do you remember your invisible friend, Charlie? Oh, wow. And I was yeah. like, kind of like, no. And then all of a sudden that sound came back, but it was a radio. 
and it's like garbled and it's like alpha charlie and charlie oh is the goodness. only word that comes out um so these are the things where i'm like you know i'm not going to argue with somebody that the spirit world is real or not or you know and i think it's different. oh yeah because it's so uh yeah i mean it's so tactile to you there's no debate yeah, yeah but and, and somebody else this may not be their experience and that's okay and maybe i am just an absolute lunatic and we're not even here you know and i'm just right, well, i'm um, drooling I mean, I, on myself I, I, that's, somewhere. that's where i would i would only argue against that truly because it's like I mean, to dismiss it as you being an absolute lunatic, yeah. even though I know you're being facetious on some level is, uh, I mean, it, it, um, it, like, you know, where I always uh, end up with this, uh, it is okay when anybody believes, just like you said, I'm not here to convert anyone, mm-hmm. but why, why be so beholden to the five senses that that's what you're lobbying for? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, just, yeah, so that, um, but w- when Charlie was in your awareness as a child, what age are you talking about? Or what age was, w- was being, uh, remembered when you were told about this under three like i had oh so like real formative two. yeah because we left oh, so you're... that was kentucky and we left there i think when i was three like two or three so so you're just learning how to speak and you're talking about charlie mm-hmm. yeah right okay um and do you still to this day and even the word hearing voices to me is a is, is not a fair way of describing it but are you still tapped into this day oh is absolutely this... Yeah. Okay. And it was interesting, though. I lived in all haunted houses when I lived with my parents. And now I kind of feel like Charlie was always there. But later, as I grew okay. up, he was not my friend anymore. And then it was scary. And, you know, that was the things chasing me up the stairs at night and like all sorts of things. And that could be a five hour uh-huh. conversation. Uh, but I won't I won't wow. I won't torture you guys. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, so. You, in the course of being institutionalized, was it a matter of you being so frightened by what you were experiencing that you were like, I need help? Or were there other parties saying, look, what you're talking about is alarming us. Mm-hmm. So you need, you need, what, what, what was the dynamic? Oh, it was definitely other parties. It, it was my parents, honestly. I, I terrified okay. them, you know, because I was constantly seeing things that weren't there. And, and as a, as a, an adult now, and, and now that I've gone through it, it's done. Like, Kamadari is done for me. Now I don't have to, you know what I mean? Like, it's like peace made. Peace has Bro, been made. you've crossed the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't have that haunted feeling and all of that. Um, but at the time, like, I just think of that memory of me with Charlie and Charlie's behind my dad. Charlie and I were playing a game. And so I look at this as an adult and I'm like, why did they not burn me alive? Like, I might have locked that kid in a mm. fridge or something and, you know, packed it off or like, <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? But I was looking at Charlie and Charlie and I know that my dad is watching. He's watching me. And so I'm just this little kid sitting in front of a window, looking over his shoulder and giggling and then looking at my dad and looking at Charlie and then looking at my dad. And I'm thinking, wow, that was creepy. I am so sorry. (laughs) And then Charlie was like he put his fingers up to his lips because we're going to do something even funnier. And then he puts his hand on my dad's shoulder and I can tell my dad feels it because he turns completely pale and stiffened wow. up. Um, and then I start giggling again because it's hilarious, right? Charlie yeah. and I are playing a game. So yeah, that, I'm sorry, dad. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, it, it, that is so interesting. Cause and, and I won't start, you want to talk about a five hour conversation. Yeah. I'll avoid it also, but uh, <laughs> the, um, I have found that ghosts can be very playful and have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's something that movies don't show. I mean, because they go for the fear factor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times they're, they're, they're sort of trying to teach us that everything's okay. Like, yeah. you know, that there's more, there's more to it. Like don't take life so seriously. Yeah. Um, and, and they're well, maybe so, bored or whatever, you know. Right. Well, absolutely. Right. Right. So obviously, I mean, this is almost a ridiculous question, but, uh, obviously the things you're talking about are your main emotional tie to the horror genre. Probably. I think when okay. I when I started reading horror, it was like probably second grade and I discovered an Alfred Hitchcock uh, Tales of the Very Young. I actually have a copy of that book. It made such an impact of me. I like hunted it down uh, later. Oh, nice. But reading those stories um, was comforting to me because it was like, oh, other people do this. Other people see these things. Uh, this is normal. That's okay. There's a a realm of experience, you know, that I can, I understand this. I know what is happening in the story. And before that, um, I, I read a lot of nonfiction, actually, like, you know, Ranger Rick magazine and things like that, because mm-hmm. the fiction didn't appeal to me. I mean, it just didn't make sense. Other than like 
Little House on the Prairie. For some reason, I fixated on those books and read them hundreds of times, probably. But it was the horror genre that explained to me what was going on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that, that is a really valuable insight in the sense that there are and always have been players within the genre that have uh, offered that perspective where it's not just about scaring the audience, but there's also the uh, sort of inside knowledge of, you know, of spirits or, or, or actual encounters and mm-hmm. just sharing these things. So it's interesting that in, in that dimension of things, the genre can be very comforting. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm always a little surprised still when people associate me with writing something scary. Because I don't mm-hmm. find any of my work scary at all. Mm-hmm. And so I'll bounce it off my husband. I'll say, you know, like, is this scary? And he'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's really scary. I'm like, okay, okay. Wow. Work for yeah, that, but right, it is right, not scary. <laughs> right. You're right. Because you have a whole uh, balance of light and dark going on. That Yeah. It's like you're not you're not uh, shying away from the darkness. Um, your husband is the handsome, strapping Australian Ryan Aussie Smith. And how does he feel about your mediumship? Where is he at with those sorts of things? He has been so supportive. Um, even at the times when I first, it was probably about five years ago. Um, it, was, it was something that I recognized, but I kind of didn't really pay attention to it. Or I guess probably like my family, I tried to not really bring it up. And then, probably, well, it's probably been about seven years ago now. Um, I started studying chaos magic, like just, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. just kind of studying it like, okay, I think in the future, like 50 years from now, I mean, when you look at what they're doing with um, science, like what's coming up in science with uh, physics and stuff, and I'm, I think mm-hmm. I'm not even saying that right, but with dark matter and, you know, you can take an atom and do something, you know, a pair of atoms and and you can pair them, like marry them, and then you mm-hmm. separate them and one will react in Paris the way for what you've done to one in New York. You know, right. So right. to me, I'm like, well, that's magic. And I think that kind of started me along that thought of like maybe us, the way we feel about magic and metaphysics and stuff um, is the, and spirits is the way we used to feel about electricity. We just didn't understand, right. it, you know, right. We, we can't quantify it quite yet, although. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, uh, are you, you mean, um, do you mean quantum physics? Is yes. Thank you. Yeah. Disclaimer. I am in no way a scientist or even educated. I just read stuff <laughs> and then I no, butcher just, it. No, no, she's, uh, yeah. A note to the audience. She's selling herself very short. Uh, not to say you are a scientist, but she's a brilliant artist. Oh, but, thank um, you. Absolutely. And, um, Okay, so Al, and I'm just to triangulate, I'm not trying to start a debate or anything, but I'm curious. Al, are you skeptical? Of? Of uh, meta- metaphysics, ghosts, spirits, all these things? Oh, boy. You know, I have a huge <laughs> history in that, right? Because I, oh, okay, par- okay. I was part of the uh, um, that whole paranormal uh, world for over 10 years. So I, oh, okay. I, so that you don't sound like a skeptic. Okay. I, well, a skeptic, it can be a word I accept what I, okay. what I, it, cause it's not skeptic. Isn't like, um, disbelief it, what it is, is it just, I just want to understand things better and I want to question things. So I don't have the answers. The thing I'm skeptical about is that people, so many people, claim to have these answers and i don't think they do mm-hmm. okay because you, you feel like somebody might come in and say they're getting some canned message from beyond it's like well how could you put any stake in that sort of thing yeah. yeah and there's and there's a whole community that formed you know when you see you see the top of it on television and um and i know most of those guys and and I, all i can say is they all sort of fall into each other's rules. And I don't think there are all these set rules that people know. You know, the worst thing in the world for me is seeing a, a television medium tell you what is and isn't mm-hmm. on something that's very un, un, uh, uncontrollable. Yeah, nobody knows, right. really. Right. And I just... Right. Sort of, so that I, so I, I'm skeptical on the way people handle it or what they try to make out of it. Right, right. Well, you're more on the questioning end of it, which is interesting because the root of question is quest. So it's more like mm-hmm. looking for answers. Yeah, yeah, I mean. for sure. I mean, I'm just yeah. not, I, I, I'm into it totally, but I just, I, I think being in it for so long, being in the uh, Canadian Paranormal Society and being in different groups and knowing a lot of it, I just, there's just too many people that uh, claim to know too much 
and it turns me off. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. And Angela, it's so interesting. I think part of the reason on a subterranean level you and I click so well is A, partially to do with what you're talking about, which is absolutely part of my own experience personally. And B, just like you said at the beginning of the conversation, like, you know, politics is a turnoff, you know, stay away from talking about politics. Like, there's a coarseness to ideology that's sort of, uh, it's sort of like the dense part of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I think this and I believe that and you believe this and you think that. It's like, it sort of gets very stale when you're communicating that way, yeah. especially if you've experienced more transcendental states of mind. Well, yeah. And, and I think yeah. the important thing that we all need to know, the one thing that we should all know and be certain of, and the only thing is that we don't know. You know, right. we don't. Well said. I have my perspective. I know what I think now. But hell, I just had that all blown. Like if you'd asked me before the Writers Police Academy, how do how do um, police cam- uh, body cams work? Oh, it's a camera. It's like easy. I know what this is like. Blah, you know, I'll tell you all the, the facts, even though I've never worn one, seen one, been on one, you know, but and then actually experiencing that, like I knew nothing, you know, right. I would have thought that, that. So that's the only thing I think is the constant is we don't freaking know <laughs> anything. Yeah, yeah, just to stay open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just know what uh, we think we know, you know, like that elephant parable where all the blind guys are in a room and they're all feeling the elephant and one feels a trunk. And so he knows what an elephant is based on that. And another guy is the tail. And he's like, yeah, it's totally like this. And we're all perfectly, absolutely 100% certain that we know what an elephant is. And we do. But we're only seeing that one little fraction of an experience. We don't know the whole thing. Right. Um, what Has your mediumship, your experience in this realm, uh, putting aside the fact that uh, early on your parents reacted and they said you need help, these sorts of things, as an adult later in life, has it uh, impacted relationships in any way, like sort of, uh, you know, made people fearful or anything like that? Um, I was always the weird one. Okay. So in a way, but I always tried to keep that part of it under wraps, you know. Um, sometimes I would <laughs> I would let it out like I did uh, tarot, uh, not tarot readings, um, spirit boards or Ouija in college. Oh, okay. And that's how I got my beer money because I always seemed to be able to work it really well. Um, you know, and, that, and, and that's how, you know, I know special it was to me. It's like, oh, I can do this thing. <gasps> Free beer. Everybody bring me right, beer right, and right, I will right. read this all night long while we're drinking. And that's also how I learned respect for those things, because I haven't touched a Ouija board since because of the last night um, I was a, a, you know, young college kid. I know everything that's going on and I have the power and blah, 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 you know, big ego. And um just we were with this certain group um and the the Ouija told us all these super background details that we could never know like we were testing it and that's me as I'm always testing 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 you know is this my subconscious is this you know what could this be oh sure and so it told a whole bunch of stuff about her that none of us could know like her kitten when she was four that he gave her it was saying it was her, her grandfather and then at the end it started doing this crazy figure eight thing, which I had started to come to recognize as like a, I didn't know, like a negative thing or something bad's going to happen or, you know, uh, and that's usually where I would quit. Like, okay, we're, we're done mm. here. The session is over. This house is clean, whatever I said. Um, mm. And that day I was continuing it because I had this big ego going and I was probably drunk and, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it was not a good idea. That's all I know about that. And so I started challenging it. And then the last thing it said was she had said, and she was like crying. This is so emotional for her. And then she said, um, I said, it has to go. And then she said, um, is there any message? I said, one last question. She said, is there anything you'd like me to tell my grandmother? Started doing the crazy eight. And then mm. um, it answered. Oh, my. You. Ooh, that's, so, scary. that's scary. Yeah. And so then she's like. It, like, and she was a friend of mine. Like I actually it wasn't somebody I didn't know. So I felt angry that it's acting like that. And it just right. totally upset her. So that's, I think why I started challenging it. But so I basically in my drunken ego inf- inflated state, I uh, was saying like, Oh, you know, well, that's great. You know, you just made her cry, whatever. Mm. Um, you know, you're not so great. You know, I bet you can't even like blow out these candles. And it did. And then Ooh, I should have okay. shut up at that point. That's in the horror movie where you're like, shut up. Right, what are right. you? <laughs> An <laughs> idiot? Yes, I was. <laughs> and then I said something else like, 
you know, oh, wow, we're blowing out candles, big woo-woo, I can do that, you know, it doesn't show that you're powerful or anything. And then the, cause I think it, it had said that afterwards, it was, it was all powerful or something, which hmm. that's where like my little bully sister's like, Oh yeah, you think you're so right. powerful? I'm going right. to show you, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to get killed here. Um, <laughs> and it shot the planchette across the room. And so at that point, I think everybody was kind of done. Like, no, we're good here. We've seen Boosted everything the, we need the, to the say. planchette uh, flew off the board and went across the room. Yeah. It shot wow. across the room and like so violently that it, it was under furniture. We had to go dig it back out. Wow. Uh, w- would you say um, by way of an instructive note or a warning, if it starts doing the figure eight, is that a sign of distress or antagonism? Because to I me do it the was. board with my, uh, for you it was, because I do the board with my kids from time to time. And every so often it does start aggressively mm-hmm. sort of moving in patterns. Like it's agitated. Yeah. And, uh, and it's never gone anywhere extreme, but yeah, it is. It does sort of put a chill in the air. Yeah, and, and I would say it, it probably wouldn't go any place extreme, except that I was actually prodding. You know, yeah, I was being talking. disrespectful <laughs> and, you know. Yeah. And that, the last thing it did was cracked all the sink, the enamel off our sink. That was the final thing that I was like, I'm good here. I so feel the like enamel started coming off the sink, like, air quotes, by itself? Like, it just started mm-hmm. wearing away? Yeah, we well, we were all sitting on the floor, and that was like, okay. we retrieved the planchette. That was the last thing. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. You're going to throw a planchette across the room. Oh, my ah, You're such a, you know, weakling, blah, whatever I was saying. It was probably terrible. I'm so glad there's, like, no film of this or anything. Yeah, yeah. And then we're all sitting here waiting, and the planchette just stopped cold. Like, it was just gone. Like, there was no more connection. Right. And we're all sitting here waiting for something else to happen, and then we hear this noise. And we're in a college dorm room sitting on the floor and we hear this noise. And so we all get up and all of the white part of the sink is just crackling in and there's black metal underneath. Wow. It It was just happening like in fast forward, like just right before your eyes. Yeah. Just like that. And I had to pay for that. It was like $700 that they charged me because they wouldn't believe that I had nothing to do with that. Okay, Which, so in, in yeah. your spirit, and I know you're, uh, it being known that you establish you're more of a question person than, than an answer person, like, I, I don't want to pin you to this, but in your mm-hmm. spiritual judgment, what sort of entity were you dealing with? Like, like how, would you, how would you quantify or characterize that entity that, you know, was, that was being nasty? I don't know, honestly, because I don't, yeah. I don't know if I believe in, like, say, demons, or mm-hmm. I don't believe maybe in classifications. Like, I just don't know. So, so and then also there is the factor, like you said, that it was it was a confrontation between the two of you. So mm-hmm. by all rights, it might have been an okay entity that was just just felt challenged. Yeah, because right. if we think of us as people, um, you catch me on the wrong day, and I'm like yeah. a really nice, happy person, but you catch me <laughs> at the wrong time, wrong day, and I can be somebody completely different. And so oh, I'm sure. not so sure that maybe all spirits are the same, but it's. You know, they're in an angry day. Now they're a demon or they're feeling throwy that day. Now they're a poltergeist. But it's really the just a spirit. You know, right. if it's not even us somehow, like some kind of, you know, connection in the ether that we're all connected. I just don't know. But wow. I find it a hell of a lot of fun and, and way interesting. But yeah, I, I constantly really want to test it. Like I just did a pendulum this weekend in the coffee shop to a group of people and we were just testing it so they could ask questions. And my thing is like, watch my arm and say, you know, see, am I manipulating this? Like if I am, I need to know, like, cause that's part of it. I don't right, want right. to believe in something that is not actually happening. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, do you find in terms of working in the medium of poetry that it, uh, because of the way the language can be literary and flavorful and experimental, does that help you draw out or evoke some aspect of the metaphysical that maybe prose can't get to? Absolutely. And, and I'm actually really excited that you asked this because oh, cool. pretty recently in this research of doing all this, um, I came, I was doing a lot of, uh, I'm looking to see if I can find the book on my shelf. I can't, I can't remember the title of it, but it's a scholarly book on uh, Yuda and all of that, you know, in Okinawa, which is why I had it. I think I paid like $80 for this book because it's out of print. Um, but in it, it talks about poetry was the, the utterances of shaman. Like that's oh, where wow. it started. Okay. And it was specifically in the 575 pattern. Okay. Well, as somebody who writes a lot of haiku, I do a lot of chained haiku just naturally. 
I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. He's talking about haiku. Haiku is magic. And it started with the shaman. All poetry, you know, came from here. So it was like a a very cool kind of connection there. Um, That is amazing. Yeah. yeah, So, and I never thought that. Like, but when I think about it now, after I read that and, and like read the book and everything, it makes sense because you know, boil, boil, toil and trouble and, you know, poetry mm-hmm. and magic have been hand in hand forever, you know, right. back to like Shakespeare and beyond. Right. And that makes so much sense just the way you laid that out, because there is a sort of like rhythmic, metabolic mm-hmm. component, like to, to interfacing with spirit. There's a sort of rhythm and a feeling and a thrust and a flow of things. And then, of course, mm-hmm. the poetry, a poetry can sort of like feel like music in that way, where it's getting at the, uh, the unfolding of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and poetry yeah. doesn't deal, I mean, it can deal in our world, but it deals with like a lot of meta, um, I almost said metaphysics, metaphor <laughs> and impression mm. and, you know, a smell can mean something else, not just that smell, you know, a right. smell of cookies represents this whole relationship with somebody that used to make cookies. You know what I mean? You can pack so much more into a poem than you can um, in so few words. Of course, you can pack it in prose too, but in just the, the fewest words, you can express that. Wow. It's, and it's really great to be discussing poetry because it's rare. I mean, it's uh, unusual not only for people, I think, to write poetry. I think it's unusual for them uh, to publish it or let alone win awards for it. Mm-hmm. So have you, found, have you found being professionally engaged in that medium that there uh, remains a lot of excitement around it from the writing standpoint and the reader standpoint? I think so. And right now, poetry is having a heyday, like like horror has kind of come back. Mm -hmm. Um, Poetry and and horror is having a golden age. I don't think we've been this popular since the 80s. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. And poetry is doing that, too. And I think a lot of it has to do with, like, say, Amanda Gorman. And there's been a couple of like best selling poets recently. Um, and I can't think of oh, none wow. of their names off the top of my head. So I fail. <laughs> Except Amanda Gorman, you know, which, hey, reciting poetry at the Super Bowl. You know, when when did we ever think oh, that's that what, Yeah, there you happen? go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think she kind of broken into this mainstream. Um, and especially poetry appeals, I think, to the underdog. Um, because it's, again, you can say things without saying them. You can express a truth without being exposed. You know, I can tell you something terrible happened to me. And you'll understand it, but I don't have to give you every nitty gritty detail. But you can share that experience with me on a a basic level that you have your own experiences like that, that you're translating it to. You know, so maybe like to me, it was death of a dog. And to you, it's the death of a mother. It's the same pain, you know, and poetically, we can share that. I think her kind of being in that place where first she did the inauguration, she read a poem there. And then she read the poem at the Super Bowl. I think that kind of opened it up for a lot of people to go, oh, damn, poetry. You know, I can express this pain Mm. because during 2020, I think we were all underdogs. You know, 2020, 2021, I think everybody was pretty much feeling beat up. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. And also, I think the underdog theme is so powerful, also in the sense that, to the best of my understanding, and I've written some poetry, but uh, even with things like the 575, in general, there are no rules with poetry, right? Like that's Mm-mm. sort of the idea of it is to flow freely. Yeah. And I think starting out with structure is a good, and that's exactly, that's what I told uh, Genevieve to get her started. I said, find a structure because then you can hang your creativity on it. When you have to come up with the structure and the creative idea, it can be overwhelming. So just find mm. a structure. Now you know the map. Now just fill in where you're going. Like, is it grass or is it rocks? Is it, you know, and I think that that is a really good way to start. And then you start getting more comfortable with this way of thinking and writing. And then you can kind of go off and make your own stuff. I mean, making up your own forms is like hugely fun. I've got a a friend and we do a little poetry show uh, twice a month and we're constantly coming up with the most ridiculous ideas of like, this is now a form and we'll name it something. And, you know, for God's sakes, none of these are ever going to go anywhere, but they're a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's also like riffing on the subconscious. It's like, it is. bubbling up here. Yeah. 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 And with, so with Genevieve, who I love, by the way, she, it was not only her first published poem, it was actually the first poem she wrote. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's okay. what so she that's said. Yeah, so that's why she did the, the limerick when we won, because her husband challenged her when she started this. She was like at first saying, like, no, I can't do this. I can't write poetry. I've never written anything but a limerick. 
So that's why she read a limerick for her win, like her speech, um, because her husband said, now you need to write a limerick because, you know, that's where this started with. Wow. Okay. Is poetry, I know we're spending a good amount of time on it. Is that your like main medium? Is that your preferred mode of expression or do you feel equally passionate about prose? Um, I actually tried to get rid of it <laughs> for a long time. Okay. Okay. I used to write a lot of poetry and then I went to a high school uh, critique group. It was the first critique group I ever went to and they tore my poem up and me mm. so badly. Oh, wow. Okay. I was like, I am never writing another poem. I will never do this. They're horrible. I'm a horrible poet, you know? And so when I did start writing poetry again, it was, I wanted to, and I had these secret poems that nobody would ever see, you know, because it just came out. Um, But I started going to open mics um, in Florida when we lived there. And my excuse was I wanted to get over a fear of speaking like in public. And I did have a, a fear of speaking in public. Like that's pretty natural, I think. Um, And so I'd write these poems so I would have something to read, but not because I'm a poet or anything. I just have to write these so I have something (laughs) to perform. You know, it doesn't mean nothing to me. They just just, just happen to be painstakingly crafted with uh, with everything you have in you. Yeah. Yeah, So then the reason why I even published a chapbook of it is because I had a friend who was like 80 and his his thing was he wanted to have a chapbook. And so his wife and I got together and we self-published his poetry as a surprise for him. Um, you know, very, he had no idea it was happening, but since I had everything laid out, like, cause I had to build the template and everything for oh, this yeah. chapbook, I was like, oh, and it was my birthday, like the next week, I was like, you know what, for my birthday, I will throw all this crappy poems mm. in a chapbook and then I'll be done with it. And nobody's ever going to read it. Nobody will ever know. Nobody knows who I am. It's safe. And then it got an Elgin nomination. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was kind of like, oh my gosh, probably up and even until like two years ago, I would tell my husband sometimes, especially when I'm tired, I'd be like, why does everybody keep calling me a poet? You know, Mm. like, (laughs) and he's like, well, because you have like four poetry books written by this point, you know, yada, yada. And and I go, I I guess I can see that. But it was like a real, you know, but it's still from that. That's why I'm like, don't judge other people's works for God's sakes, because this is, it is all. You may not like it. It doesn't mean it's bad, but look at the damage you can do. You know, it's interesting. It was like the universe was willing you in that direction because you did the chapbook for your friend. You had the mm-hmm. template available to you. It's like, okay, now this is like easy. I have all these poems adding up. It's like all the pieces were being assembled. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I remember kind of going, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. And it was like, it's illogical not to do that. It's like, right, right. You do this. You, it's you like know. a cup waiting to be filled. It's like, yeah, why would you not? Yeah, scratch yeah. Um, Hey, listen, um, we we got to get to your, so how do people find you? Like website, social media, oh, phone yeah. number, address? Like, what do you like to give out? Uh, pretty much my website <laughs> is AngelaYSmith.com or just my name, AngelaEurekoSmith.com. And everything kind of goes out of there. I try to keep it updated. Um, I try to keep all the links there and what I'm so I don't, I say try. It's usually a little up, out, outdated, but you know, I try. That is the best place to reach me. And there's a contact form and everything there. Perfect. And you've got the new uh, tribute to Anne Rice out too, right? What, what's that yes. about quickly? Yeah, that is uh, Rebecca Rowland and Elaine Pascal came to me after Anne Rice had passed away. And of course, we were all, you know, very emotionally shook. And they said they wanted to do an anthology. And would I be willing to publish it through Eureka Publishing, which is a little boutique publishing company that I have primarily for Space and Time magazine to house that. Mm. But I also like we publish Tortured Willows with this. Things that are not uh, financially viable, I publish through Eureka Publishing. Um, and so they asked me if I would publish it. I did. I believe there's 19 writers in there and I have a story too. And gorgeous book. All the writers did such a good job. Uh, Jeanette Andromeda, I think is her name, did the art. Beautiful. Nobody got paid anything for it. And I mean, other than contributor copies and all the money is going to the animal rescue of New Orleans or Arno. Um, 100%, 100% of that in Anne Rice's name. Uh, because she was so into like cats and rescues and stuff. So we're, that's where all the money is going, but that has been really fun project and and an emotionally cathartic, you know, kind of Anne Rice was kind of like a fictional mom, I guess. I probably really looked at her as like that kind of figure in my life. So it was good to be able to kind of do something instead of just mourn her. 
Well, fantastic. Well, we're wrapping up the show. We're glad you came on, and Thank we'll have everything up on our website. Our guest today has been Angela Eureka Smith. Thank you for being on the show. A pleasure. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.